0: You're listening to Adam RMD GED. What do we got? Go on. Underground. Cartoon. Therapy. You've got what you want? Give this people air.
1: I'm afraid we all have our orders, Major.
0: Alright, man, I'm going to call up C2 and fucking get this shit fucking... What the fuck? There's a fucking, uh... Is that a fucking Sasquatch? Trying to hump my trash can outside? What in the fuck? Uh Uh-oh. I'm going to have to fucking call 411. I don't even know how to fucking get this shit away from here. Information, I made a director call. Yeah, dude, uh, I got this fucking Sasquatch fucking butt fucking my trash can outside. Uh, do you know what I should fucking do about that?
1: Sir, have you been taking any 5-MeO-dimethyltryptamine the past several days?
0: Um, that was, uh, uh yesterday, right? Um, between two cans of Pringles that I huffed. Is that correct?
1: <laughs> well, I don't know what I'm imbibing, but I would recommend if you're having a psychedelic experience to drink four ounces of pickled fry, and if the symptoms persist, I would recommend if you have any continuing problems with Yeti, Sasquatch, Bigfoot, or any other sort of Hanna-Barbarians, to make sure to listen to Adam Air. M D G E D Underground
0: Cartoon Therapy. Oh, that sounds fucking awesome. Welcome back, guys. Season 4 is running around fucking like it's shit don't stink, and I guess it ain't fucking stinking so bad. C2 says the numbers are great. Tonight is C2's first show, guys, so I uh, want to give you a the heads up, this is the 411 show, man, and we're going to keep doing these 411 shows. Because C2's got a lot of fucking shit to say, man, you know? And we, we need to give her the floor, dude. And it's important. I need to. And there's so much shit that I don't fucking know, man. I don't know what to think about anything anymore. You know. I'll give you the lowdown. C2's not human. Oh, wait, was I not supposed to tell Oh. Oh. Anyway, uh... (laughs) He's, you know, not from Earth. Am I allowed to say that? Anyway, uh, (laughs) this episode is brought to you by fucking... the last of my fucking mind wreck. I think that's what I'm smoking northern wreck. Yeah. motherfucker. it's not bad. let me take a hit off this shit. Well, if you guys know somebody that has actually not only got ran into a Sasquatch but fucking battled one or battled a Wendigo or some cryptid shit We need to talk. (laughs) Holy fuck. This show is going to be badass. C2 gets the floor. I'm the Andy Rector. He's the Conan. (laughs) Oh my god. Never got to see pentagram. I never got to see pentagram. Fuck, that sucked. Anyways, welcome to Cryptid 411. Kind of based off and inspired by those fucking hunters that went fucking missing. And the movie's out right now, missing 411. C2's gonna elaborate further on it, man. But we're gonna get on it. Yeah, man. Nope. All right, guys, fucking get her rolling. All right, this is it. Um, Like I said, guys, this is the beginning of this kind of format of shows. so C2, thank you for uh, uh, coming up with this. I think it's a great idea. Um, And I did watch the trailer for Missing 411. It's pretty interesting uh, stuff. Already, so it should be good to hear uh, what you got in store for us. How are you doing today?
1: Oh, um, a little groggy and tired, but that's because I'm down in the valley, so <laughs> taking a break from the wilderness.
0: I uh, am feeling it too, you know, severe PTSD attack today.
1: I feel the whole world is having one but yes everybody deserves to have one you're just brave enough to say you got one
0: (laughs) (laughs) well sometimes i feel like scrapping the show you know i'm like yeah fuck it you know and i guess everybody feels like that you know um it is hard to uh keep it rolling rock and to keep it uh a solid thing and to remember it's not all about us it's about other people the people that are listening to this right
1: yeah i hope so i mean otherwise there's not much point but i guess it is fun if we just talk but i sure hope other people actually enjoy this
0: <laughs> i did have a friend say earlier you know hey even if you you yet you, you you know you have to put it out because you know even if it's even if no one listens to it you got you owe it to yourself
1: Eh, yeah, you, you know, like I you know me. I'm always like just create. Eventually, you know that that's all you need to do. People like it or they won't. But if you do it for them, then you're not creating. So
0: I agree, and uh, I like that as a as a nice breaker opener here in the two minute mark. So let's go ahead and uh, bust into the show proper, because you know I'm definitely uh, this is one of the Top five most interesting things in my life,
1: <laughs> yeah, um just for interesting thoughts on my part, since you were relatively unaware of this coming in and you saw the trailer and looked at a couple different things yeah um, what's your takeaway before I go anywhere
0: uh, it's scary um some of these sounds that are being uh produced um, I'll be honest, my whole thing on a conspiracy end revolves around Project uh, Bluebeam and Project Harp kind of uh, combining uh, forces. And sometimes when you hear these sounds and stuff, it's been recorded through many years now, specifically uh, in the heartland of America or in the U.K., but crazy-ass oh, sky, sky trumpets, sounds like that. Sometimes yeah. when I hear this stuff coming out of the woods, I think about, hey, there is the technology. Kids could actually just set this stuff up in the woods and fuck with people they know are a mile down the road. or you know, It's kind of hard to discern where the line is, but when you came in with your story about being stationed in northern Canada... And once again, guys, go back and listen to both the uh, Spooky LA episode number thirteen and um, Wendigo PTSD. This is kind of a, a follow-up to those episodes, yeah.
1: Um, I yeah, that makes sense to me, or a continuation, or yeah, enough, whatever works.
0: Well, it did take that incident, and um, personally, I you're the only person I've ever heard with that specific kind of account with a cryptid uh that um was that violent and brutal
1: um yeah i from personal experience and people that i know the other than normal uh, network and just over time there are quite a few more of these events than just mine um It's just that once you get involved with this stuff, you already know it exists. There's no need to prove it, but you do have a desire to clean it up or prevent it.
0: That is true.
1: So a lot of people are like, well, if you proved it, it'd make everything better. And I'm just like, there's a lot of issues about that. So maybe we'll talk about those in the course of the show.
0: Fine, whatever you, want, whatever you want to do, man, because it's already, uh, I don't think there's any wrong way to eat a Reese's here, so I'm just going to let you go at it.
1: Well, sticking up your nose isn't a good idea. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> Each to his own. All well, right, okay. well, uh, just to do a quick overview, I was uh, born in the 411 <laughs> capital of the United States outside of Gatlinburg and Cates Cove and Smoky Mountain National Park in the beginning of the 70s. And there are people disappearing left and right all the time there. And actually, the I think it's David Pallades, the guy who started all that stuff, for official, has um, you know investigated that area pretty well. Uh, Appalachians are one of the oldest mountain ranges in the world. They just were very old and worn down. So I'm sure there's lots of stuff there. But uh, I moved out to the uh, Rocky Mountains when I was eight and had my own. Continued set of encounters in the Laramie Valley all the way down to uh, Colorado Springs. And, um, in 94, I had my first um, run-in with a, uh, I guess, mm. cryptid or OTN uh, that we successfully did engage and neutralize. And from that point on, we had uh, started going a little bit handbone looking for him and Must admit a little bit of fun when you're younger, and now that you're older, it's just uh, more of a worrisome (laughs) side job. So, I want to talk about 1997 and uh, Peak to Peak Highway in Boulder County, Colorado. You've been up there on that Peak to Peak, Adam? I forget.
0: It's been uh, about 20 years plus, but yeah, I definitely, as a younger dude, was there at one point.
1: Yeah, I remember a lot of the old gutter punk days, people used to go up to Lake Jamestown and camp at St. I'd mm-hmm. have, yeah. Um, Gold, well,
0: Gold but, Rush, or where the fuck that place was, or...
1: Oh, Gold Hill. Yeah. Gold Hill, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was Gold Rush, Lump Gulch, this, that, yeah. It's uh-huh. a mining term. There's a road named after it.
0: I Camped out in Left Hand Canyon for a minute. You know, but... uh. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Never did I ever have any kind of encounter in Colorado after all the time, or even uh, hear one story. I've never heard even one Sasquatch story come out of Colorado, to be honest.
1: Colorado Springs, they actually have a bipedal entity down there referred to as the Elk Killer, and as they close in on it with development, the sightings have gone up. Hmm. Even a couple really good captures by helicopter footage, but I'll get back to the peak-to-peak. Okay, okay. There's a town called Nederland, and Mm -hmm. that's about mile marker 18. uh, Now, 18 is the uh Rollinsville, okay? Uh, They're like 28, 30, but anyway, you get up to 37 and a half miles, which is going north. There's a camp pullout called 37 and a half, very unoriginally. Um, (laughs) so and then you go a little further north, you got the town of Ward, which we also Mm -hmm. call weird. Remember how screwed up that town was? Oh, yeah, (laughs) Jesus. Still is, dude. It hasn't changed eight uh-huh. since you left. Creepy church on the hill and everything.
0: Mm. Silent hill.
1: <laughs> um, well, except 4th of July. Right.
0: So it's
1: like a war zone there.
0: Oh, man. Um,
1: <laughs> but, yeah, I actually heard originally from um, the old general store owner. Um, so he's the one right across from the open one. He shut down about 20 years ago. Oh. And they had been having problems with pet disappearances. So I hooked up with uh his son and we were patrolling the south side of Ward looking for mountain lions. And we did find quite a few remnants of bodies, but we didn't find any drag marks and nor did we find any tree stashes. We were like this is getting weird. And then um the older lady up there on Humboldt was actually said that somebody is running around in her yard with plastic wrap. We were like, okay. So through questioning, we uh, figured out she was describing something like the, the predator from that movie, which, uh, you know, where everything looks kind of smudgy. You can see its outline, but see through it. And we're like, huh. So uh, eventually I said, um, Guy's son back, and I contacted some other folks that were OTN, and uh, we went and talked to the uh, old police chief of NED, and he has passed, blessed us all. Uh, with his help, we were able to uh, get a temporary shutdown, uh, mile marker 37 and a half for fire mitigation officially. Ken was a good player. He did die, unfortunately, and the town hasn't been the same since. Uh, huh. a good feeling for community. So... Yeah, he was pretty cool. Did you ever meet any of the old Ned officers?
0: Nope, never did, man. Didn't really know anybody there.
1: Okay, well, they are nice. I mean, everybody has rural hick sort of, like, visions, but, don't know. they were very realistic and not afraid, so they solved problems instead of
0: people. Oh, <laughs> <Well>, that's nice. <laughs> How original.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember Officer Friendly, and I can't use his real name, um, there was a guy going crazy with a gun up there at West Magnolia and the slot team was coming up and officer Bradley was out there yelling over his car. And he's like, the slot team is coming. They will kill you. I will not. Please let me figure out how to get you down here. I'll drive you all the way down to the jail. I'll stay with you through the booking process and make sure no one beats you. And eventually he got the guy calmed down and into the car and detained. And he was true to his word and, um the slot team got up there, and we're ready to pretty much tear apart the forest. So, you know, I kind of like that aspect of the uh, elios up there. <laughs> but I digress. Um, yeah, so we got it shut down and set up in the middle of that camping area. It's like I I don't know, seven, eight square mile area with about 20 plus campsites. You know, they got those little uh, signs that have a number on them, and you have to keep fifty oh, yeah. 58 of them. Have mm-hmm. you ever seen those?
0: Oh, yeah, yeah they're everywhere yeah
1: Yeah, so about the midpoint of that is camp nine and uh, we just set up there and we had everything blocked off and we had 16 of us total two groups of eight we had a lot of equipment and from everything from biological sampling microscopes and tubes testers preservatives to heavy duty ballistics uh in past experience we have never dealt with one that was uh invisible so to speak or hard to see like that so we did have some early first generation night vision and a couple first generation FLIRs forward-looking infrared which is what that whole Predator vision was it was just a FLIR camera
0: (laughs) oh my goodness
1: yeah I remember when he was like what Predator 2 when he's dialing through the different frequencies you know so you can see him in that warehouse
0: oh yeah 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 yeah
1: yeah, that's actually just changing the color set on your FLIR. So, I mean, like, for the time, since nobody knew what the hell FLIR was, uh, that was a pretty cool effect.
0: <laughs> yeah, no shit. Everybody was <laughs> like, whoa. <laughs> uh-huh.
1: We even set up something called – it was an early one. It was a laser grid, and it just uh, was basically kind of like a planetarium that shot lasers out everywhere, and they were gr- red back then. We didn't have the nice green ones. Uh-huh. And that was so, if anything – Walked that we couldn't really see. We're much more likely to see it with the lasers getting hung up and disturbed by it. So, kind of a neat little trick. Uh, Ghost hunters use this whole thing now, apparently.
0: So, yeah, repeatedly, right? That seems to be a- also on the uh, the guys that go out into these deep ass woods, apparently, with camera crews, and I just don't know how they expect to set up and then actually think that anything's going to come near them. Uh, well, in our, our
1: when, experience, this type of OTN is incredibly territorial. So, yeah, we had a pretty good idea. But you did? I agree with you. Okay. Yeah, so, no, I agree with you. If you're just cold shooting, you're never going to fight
0: I did. Yeah, so, I mean, okay, hypothetically, these guys who are on these Sasquatch Hunter shows, if they were real, like, setting up and all this stuff like that, and they came across an OTN that was territorial – that would obviously be the end of the show, right? Because what the hell are you going to do against? They didn't, are they there with, like, armed motherfuckers like you guys were? Or?
1: Um, a lot of the ones that they are looking for in the territory they're in are, can't those can be aggressive, but they are not uh, hyper-aggressive. In my personal experience, and I can speak for the rest of our crew, these things are not stable, uh, as in matter-stable. And I don't believe they're aliens, but there's got to be some explanation for their ability to actually physically exist and not exist. So, I mean, I could bore everybody and get into Klein bottle physics, and, you know, Moby and the Antimeric, you know, cross-actions of ter- Klein toroids, yada, yada. I mean, we figured out pretty much how to detect a lot of their manifestation, but I, we've only been able to guess at the physics, and our guesses have led to us having... A lot of success so it is probably likely they're right but boy that's an entire different episode and I don't know if I can make that one even palatable for the public
0: huh that is interesting shit dude um,
1: yeah I mean at a later time maybe we can get into the actual like theoretical quantum physics of cross-dimensional entities in existence but yeah
0: well, well I, I look for
1: another time
0: <laughs> I look forward to that time <laughs>
1: Right on. Yeah. So, you know, an interesting phenomena of all the OTNs, cryptids, whatever you want to call them, is that uh, there seems to be a conservation of matter that occurs. And long story short, um, some of them need to stay here, need to ingest or have a lot of matter from our area to going into their body to actually stabilize their existence. And they need to do it fast and often. And Other stuff doesn't seem to need it as much. Uh, One of the most interesting things that I've noticed that everybody will say, oh, isn't that convenient, is that most OTNs, bodies, when they're destroyed to non-functionality, eventually melt, deliquesce, turn dry, go to dust in varying degrees from under 20 minutes to about a week. So that is more than likely one of the reasons you're not going to see a lot of cryptid artifacts.
0: Why is that? Why why would it dissipate into that kind of uh, water?
1: Or dust or anything. It's yeah. conservation of matter. I mean, if they come from a sideways or a parallel place, then there's going to be slightly different constants, and eventually gravity could be a fraction off, Light speed of light could be a fraction off, the amount of energy to hold an atom or a molecule or water is going to be a fraction off. And while that has no immediate short-term effect, eventually that leads to instability of matter itself. And it doesn't go away so much as just break down into its, you know, component atoms. And then even the atoms without the uh, normal amount of electromagnetic repulsive force to hold them together are going to break apart into fragments. And People are like, that's fission nuclear. It's like, no, it's low-grade dissemination. and Those protons and electrons will just disseminate out into the universe and eventually either break down in a way I don't understand or somehow get assimilated back in with a constant adjusted to R. So who knows? I mean, well, that is a very strange theory. <laughs> what
0: is it that will attract that specific OTN to a person that to the victim that they want—is it some? Is it because they eat fucking chicken nuggets? They're making some kind of scent out of their glands, or you know, is it because of some kind of psychic reverberation within them? Is it like a blood type? You know, is there a, is there a reason an OTN will choose who they choose?
1: The invisible ones, in particular, uh, we have, in my opinion, understood. They go after us. They part of their body is the extreme ability to read electromagnetic signature and this is not a magical ability these are modified structures in this particular type around the shoulder blades uh, wrist and ankles that are electrocytes they are chemical capacitor batteries very similar to an electric eel or catfish
0: it's interesting
1: and, yeah and so like the electric uh, catfish and knife fish and a couple others they can actually put out just a little 1 volt and they can read the electromagnetic signatures of creatures under the mud in the water. So it's an electromagnetic uh, distinguishing radar. If you notice in most of the missing 411 cases, there are drugs involved in the person's uh, usage, uh, prescription or recreational, or they are younger or special needs disabled or high-end geniuses. So there is a very specific electro encephalographic um, signature, and there are very specific uh, subset of people that are targeted by these events, and which is, since I'm an artistic savant, I'm sure that's why I've had my more than share of run-ins with them, uh, especially in the predation-type ones, so uh, does that make any sense?
0: Um, hmm. <laughs> kind of, but you know, I... You know, I'm, I think it's making more sense probably to more, more people listening to it.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're, 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 you've done those EEG things, right? Uh-uh. Oh, that's where they put all the electrodes on your head and they can look at all the brainwaves.
0: With the little, like, uh, nicotine pad things?
1: Yeah, they you know, get <laughs> the computer. Yeah, now, some fish and some animals can actually discern that without all that equipment from a distance. Um, so that's more than, and statistically it's gone after all these people with very, very specific, um, neurological conditions that would give a lot of the same signature. So that's kind of creepy in itself. And the electrocytes or giant electric organs in itself would allow that sensing. So huh, uh,
0: I did see this thing on like, uh, I guess they were in Loch Ness or whatever. And they used that kind of thing where, they were using like a, some kind of sonar junk to look for him, is that what you mean?
1: It's like a sonar using electromagnetic fields.
0: Okay, now do these things live on ley lines? Is it is that where you'll find a majority of sightings? Is it does it match up by chance? I was wondering about that.
1: We have found an unusual phenomena over the years about split trees. Um, if you go into the pine forest along the peak to peak, and I've seen this demonstrated in North Idaho um, and Washington and even the greater Smoky Mountains, uh, if you find a tree that is split, you know, just grown into a fork, if you get there on that tree and you look around it and just use it as a site, you can usually find another split tree directly in line with it. If you walk to that one, you can usually find another split tree, and that is originally how the Salagi or Cherokee would identify their ley lines, or tribal lines in some ways, is that the split trees are supposed to be a byproduct of a junction of the uh, spirits of the earth, ley lines or whatever you want to call them, um, so that was an interesting way that they would use to track or find lay lines or decide where to put medicine lodges. And I've seen the Yupik also have that, which is another tribe in the northwest area, which is completely unrelated to the Cherokee in any way. So huh. that's interesting. So, yes, I've seen a lot of split tree environment, especially up there at 37 and a half. Um, whether or not that was coincidental, I don't know, but... There's just a lot of those micro ley um, lines or just earth lines, and you can track them by split trees. So, if anybody's out there and wants to try that, go into the forest and find a split tree and start looking around. You'll see the next one, and you can graph a nice little line pretty easily. Give you an idea of all the upwelling.
0: Um, I got a weird question for you.
1: We're weird people. Go
0: <laughs> Is a werewolf a cryptid?
1: Um, I mean, it could be. Um,
0: but does it have to stay a cryptid full-time in order to qualify for a cryptid, or can a cryptid be like a human that turns into a cryptid?
1: Could be. I mean, I would classify that as a NU, or new class, that is a infective cryptid class, uh, a biological hazard that is a cryptid itself that does have effects on people. Like, uh, I guess, for example, a zombie virus would be a possible uh, cryptid, and the zombies would be a symptom of that cryptid. Does that make sense?
0: I mean, so the zombie itself isn't really a a physical entity more than it's an essence.
1: Um. Yeah, the the, virus itself can be occult or OTN in nature. And those are actually kind of dangerous because when it comes to the laws of conservation of matter, they're using a host and can override the host. And personally, I don't believe in zombies, just so we're out there, but I have seen some pathogenic other than normal infections, which are, and they're hard to get rid of just simply due to the fact that once they get into something, they're using the host matter to make new versions of themselves and want to propagate at a rapid rate. So they can just due to the fact that they're co-opting everything at a molecular level or cellular level makes them damn near impossible to uh, get rid of because they just never run out of matter to convert until they don't have a host. Oh, So those are actually pretty intimidating and luckily very rare.
0: Huh? How many? Well, okay. Cause there's so many OTNs that aren't just earthbound. They're like from other places.
1: Well, from everything we can discern. um, I know you and I have different views on this, but I just don't believe in aliens due to the Fermi paradox. It just, the math is wrong for me. And I understand that flies in the face of a lot of, a lot of other people say, and they're like, you believe in stuff from other dimensions, but not from outer space. And it's like, yeah, because things have been proven over and over again by scientific uh, researchers of uh, UK and China and America, that we do have evidence of parallel tracking or existence of matter and events to us, and they're just not stable enough to last. What they get here, they can manifest for a while. They just can't stay here. And also, if they have a different constant of like a reflection of light or a gravity constant that's a little bit different or anything like that, then they're going to be damn near impossible to film and they're going to wreak havoc on most of your equipment because their constants off. And the interaction of two constants is like interacting a hot and cold front. They just make a weather while everything adjusts out. It's pretty crazy.
0: Um, so as far as what I, believing in aliens and you're like, Saying that you don't, but you believe in quantum dimensional crossing beings, like that can go sideways through time. So, you want to give us the lowdown on the theory, or uh, what the name of the theory is that you were talk when you dropped right at the beginning. You were like, "Well, I believe in the whatever because
1: oh, Fermi paradox."
0: Yeah, tell us a little bit about the Fermi.
1: Oh, well, Fermi paradox is just.
0: Uh-oh, break it up a little, buddy.
1: Oh, am I here? Yeah, you're here now. Okay. It's a series of mathematical equations and constructs which shows that once civilizations reach a certain point, they hit something called a great filter. Like, uh, we could say that the great filter is every civilization reaches nuclear power and then kills themselves. Well, we've gotten by that. So... What is the next great filter? You know, there's always events that can just cumulatively build and manifest again and again and again, preventing life from existing. Mm -hmm. From being able to get off the planet on a wide level and get out into the universe. And so that's the Fermi paradox in a nutshell. But I mean, it's not exact and I'm not going to throw all the math and get complicated with it. That's the basic concept.
0: Um. Okay, uh, so let me go ahead and uh, pause it for a minute. Okay, so going back and looking for these cryptids, let's let's get back because I I'm, I'm a stoner. I'll drift off a little, but I think we got enough icebreaker, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So,
1: well, uh, once we had secured the area with help of the local LEO. Uh, law enforcement officers. We set up at uh, Camp 9, and we split into two groups of eight. We'd send one group of eight into two groups of four out and leave the other group of eight back as backup and running other stuff at the camp, and we just alternated out for the course of the day and um, really weren't getting that much. We didn't find anything, Um, some strange marks on trees, which didn't make much sense, but they weren't claw marks. They were weird uh, like rhomboid rips out of the tree in different places. And we're like, okay. So we did log that. We moved on. And, you know, that night we decided not to do any night ops. And we basically set out the generator, put a whole bunch of arc lamps out, you know, the big yellow work lights, and just radiated them out. Had everything secure, everybody within everybody's reach, stuff like that. So. Um, And that night is when our equipment went crazy. Um, We had a lot of shorts and we even had the generator shut down, but we were, we have run across gear failures before. And while these gear failures are usually electrical in nature, um, we did have a backup and we had brought out the big old Coleman lanterns. We brought out chemical lights and we brought out 30 minute road flares. So, I don't think I've met a uh, OTN who can suppress a road flare or chemical light yet.
0: <laughs> really? That's how <laughs> yeah. it is.
1: Yeah, I mean the electrical stuff or anything electrical can get screwed, but huh. you can't stop a road. You can't shut down a road flare or um, chemical light with electromagnetic.
0: So there, uh, any ideas that these guys could be electrically charged is definitely a.
1: Oh, yes, we've verified that 100%.
0: <laughs> okay, uh, go ahead, go ahead. I just wanted to... Okay,
1: sure. um, so we held that, and the events died down in the, uh, early morning, like way early morning, and then we just kept the place stable and shifted out. Once daybreak was up, we gave it two hours past daybreak to give us good light, and we were out again. And uh, that's when we started getting... Uh, readings on electromagnetic field meters on Gauss and Tesla. That's just a measurement unit for them. And we were seeing stuff that was two times higher than being next to a main circuit box in a house, which is pretty amazing because you have to get like about three to three feet to three inches to get those readings. And we're getting them out here in broad open country with no real radar sources or radio or anything around us in the middle of the mountains. That's pretty crazy. So that day I was with a group, the alpha group, which is just eight of us going out and beta group is back at camp. So once again, we split into two groups of four and we went out there and we kept, we, man, it got interesting. There's the gestalt effect where once you start looking for something that's hard to see, you start seeing patterns and shapes and everything. Yeah. So, um Luckily, all of us, while well, while well, well, we are wound up and uh, a little bit hyper attentive to our environments, just due to all of our different backgrounds, and a lot of us have seen quite a bit of combat, um, we're all disciplined and had good control, and you know we weren't ragging on anybody because this was unknown territory for us in this particular type, and it was a stressful day. We were out all day, and we. Uh, went back, beta went out, split up, two groups of four came back. We did that total of two times each during that day, and boy, it was tense. It was right. Like, uh, our all, our electromagnetic meters are back online, and we're just getting transitory things. It's here, we're getting the reads coming up and going away. I mean, we, we're using forward-looking infrareds, and we're not catching anything really, but we might have got something It was... It was tense, and we were starting to realize that we were getting worn down a bit, and that didn't feel good. So we all fell back early that day, and we set out tripwires with uh, a special infrared light stick that you can't see, but we can see at the night vision. And Like the
0: little face. ravey stick?
1: Yeah, yeah, except this one doesn't. If you break it, it looks like it's broken, but if you put on night vision, it glows as bright as oh,
0: okay, there. yep, I know That's what, you mean. what they
1: all were originally. Yep. Uh, the, Consumer ones came later. (laughs) Uh So we were looking at that, and uh, that night was kind of nice, but we got hit by – you've been in the mountains here. You know how the weather changes on a dime. Uh, We got hit by a huge thunderstorm, and you know how mountain thunderstorms are. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so that was pretty hardcore, which is also another described event from these we'll get back to later. So next day we got up, and Alpha Group began. We went out, and we were getting ready to come to uh, the the notch, which is a particular rock formation, and we split from there. And one of our guys was up on point a little too far, and, you know, we were all careless there. Um, He got up a little further away than he should have, and we let him get in front of us. So we're just probably – we're a little frazzled. And that guy immediately – made some sort of noise. It was like a sharp exhalation of breath mixed with and we actually turned and the son of a bitch is actually just going behind a rock and it doesn't look voluntary so we ran really fast up. We turn around and he's halfway up this uh, chunk of granite with a tree on top of it getting ready to go up a hill to the rest of the range and that guy's not holding on to anything. Something's got him really hard. And it's funny because he looks just shocked, like he can't move. And we're trying to figure out, and his foot's hooked, and part of his gear is hooked on a ponderosa root that was sticking off the edge of the dirt. Oh, shit. And he's kind of bouncing off that. So yeah. we're all sitting here trying to figure out and draw a bead on him. And we got a lot of M4s with us. Yeah. And Jotty's, but obviously can't use a shot there. And then. Finally, we actually saw part of his uh, uniform, well, not uniform, but his gear rip, and he came down, and it was, he looked like he snapped, too, and he grabbed his sidearm and pushed it into the air uh, to us and discharged in an entire clip and was dropped. And the moment he got about three feet away from the area, we figured it was at. And at this point, we could kind of see the smudginess. Uh, we just fired for effect, center of mass as best we could, and... You know, it was just a shit show of, I think, end of the thing was somewhere over 400 rounds into that area. And Jesus Christ, dude. Yeah, but, you know, once we felt we had a clear field, and even the point man who had actually gotten picked up managed to re-secure his uh, carbine and get it back up into that thing. I think he was just pissed at that point. So, yeah, that's when it did tumble down behind the rock on the notch, and That's when we were able to look at it, and it looked kind of weird and smoky, but it wasn't smoke. It was uh, very strange to look at. We shot pictures as we could. This is 97, so digital cameras had 32 megabytes of memory.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, all right.
1: (laughs) So, excuse me for a minute. I must call. No. (coughs) Sorry, I am back. You are back. Yeah, so now we're confronted with something that... I mean, I've had OTNs down before, and like the one up in Canada, that thing was gone in 20 minutes. And this thing was uh, hard to see. And we're just trying to figure out what the heck. And then it almost looks like a badly rendered picture or digital flaw coming in and out. But if not really. It's just the best I can describe it. and So huh. we're just... Yeah, I mean, we're trying to cut chunk here and there. Uh, That's that, that quantum
0: feel over it, right? It's like...
1: It's, well, it's, it's, still
0: going, it's still going sideways somehow. Or... Yeah.
1: No, my surprise was that that whole camouflage is completely, for lack of a better term, biological. There is no... Um, I mean, there might be some electrical feedback.
0: Uh, losing you, man.
1: Oh, there might be some factors with it being having the electrocyte glands in it, but... This was all biological and explainable as much as we could, um, which was very interesting. So we were worried we would have a short time window. Luckily, this thing didn't decay as fast as that northern one we bagged. And we had body persistence for some parts for up to eight hours, uh, despite preservatives. But long story short, um, it's camouflageability. Let's get to that, because that is the most unique thing I have ever seen.
0: Yeah, get, let's talk about that for a minute.
1: Yeah, because you're thinking quantum fields, some super technology. Or that's works.
0: what's making it staticky, you know, or hard yeah, to look or, at.
1: But finding a straight biological reason for it was very astounding. Uh, there's a, uh, You know how octopuses and squids can change color back and forth?
0: Uh, yeah, I am aware.
1: Yeah. And for everybody out there, octopuses is, is the correct plural for a plural singular of the species. Octopi is for different species when you have a whole bunch. So screw off.
0: Oh, um, I didn't know that either.
1: Most people don't. Uh, oh,
0: well. <laughs>
1: right. yeah, we did that earlier.
0: That's my ink. In that's my ink. Like <laughs> squirting at you, C2. <laughs> uh,
1: right. I just called the same the squirt shoe.
0: Oh, no. Okay, continue. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. see. Uh um, <laughs> right. So let's get at this. This is very interesting. Um, since we had some time to work with it, and we were able to bring pieces back uh, really quickly, and I went back because I'm one of the <laughs> obviously more understanding of uh, biological sciences than most with us, uh, we were quickly able to get views under a three-stage microscope, uh, ultraviolet microscope, and a dark field microscope, as well as try to stabilize parts of the tissue, which didn't fail. Um, the chromatophores on the octopus and uh thing they're a little sack of a cell that can actually be contracted to pinpoint or expanded plus different colors can be mixed together almost like a pixel on a TV in a way um, they can actually combine up to make different colors. well, the whole thing's skin was covered with chromatophores, those little shifting things and, and but what was very odd. Was that when stimulated electrically with an external source, in this case, a crude, uh, we took a stun gun and we actually built some leads and kept shocking the tissue to see what we could get. Um, those chromatophores also are bioluminescent, meaning they can make light. Um, it's not like a shining bright light, but it is actually a very distinct and discernible light. So, in the top of each of these chromatophores is a small hollow hair. These small, hollow hairs actually project the colored light up to the top and spread it out a little bit. It's like a fiber optic. It's totally cool. Its body is covered approximately, from what we could count, it's kind of hard to tell it to K, 2,000 to 3,500 hairs per square centimeter, each one capable of projecting a micro point of light. So long story short, this thing had the ability to project not just emulate the terrain, but project the terrain that's behind it with light emission. So it couldn't do it perfectly, and that's what causes the smudging. But that's actually how it does it. It's a bioluminescent chromatophore with a fiber optic tubule. So it's basically a very complex, organic LED screen on its body. How's that for crazy?
0: It's pretty crazy. That's pretty out there. haven't heard that.
1: Well, I know, and it does make sense why, and it's interesting, because we started comparing what a screen would look like if you filmed it with a camera, and we did test screens, uh, digital screens, with a camera moving around, and that screen has a lot of the artifacts some of those invisible creatures have when people were filming them, where they saw the smudges and stuff, and it causes weird squaring and rounding, so it almost makes the image look like it's been edited in, you know, how it looks kind of like just a smudge or defaults or some problems with the flaw. So it was a very interesting thing to find out. Huh. The other thing that was really scary was our plate man actually did recover really quickly and he All reported right. that he had been electric shocked. Not electrocuted, but an electrical uh, discharge into his body that was constant that kept him paralyzed and unable to say or do anything. And when the uh, bottom part of his harness caught on that Ponderosa piece and the thing tried to lift him, the gear slid and it must have lost contact with him. So, that's why he was able to grab his sidearm and put it where he thought was point blank. And discharge got dropped and allowed us to get the drop back. So, that's pretty scary. So, this thing has... A lot of potassium channels in it and some sodium channels that are in these big glands of the arm and feet. And these are things that are very similar to the electrocyte or the electrochiliu gland and uh, quite a few of the uh, electric fish species out there. Um, and in its back it had two large glands which were almost like two kilograms in size going up and down the back in a long striation. And I think that, and those they're shaped very similar to an emitter of certain types of microwave, RF, or other frequency uh, transceivers to emit and receive. So I think this thing's actually capable of inducing severe electromagnetic field distress. And I think it might have been originally designed to cause cognition problems in people. Um, because a person exposed to a heavy RF frequency or EMF frequency, it can cause some strange behavior like uh, imitates a uh, frontal cortical partial seizure where a person will suddenly walk up and then sprint in a straight line nonstop until they collapse. Or it can cause people to become confused. It can cause people to lose orientation or natural um, ability to navigate. So, that's interesting that these things could generate a lot of things that could do that and the weird front facial structure that was hollow where its you know cheeks would be was hollow and that was highly electrically responsive. So I'm wondering if that was very similar to electric knife fish or rays or catfish that it was capable of you know that frontal array was a detector and the back array was an emitter. So, that could explain why it prefers a very specific type. Maybe a person that is autism, genius, or the certain type of drug that occurs in the people that disappear in the city are easier to see. Or maybe they provide something. I'm really unsure.
0: That's, yeah. Hmm. I don't even know. Keep, continue, though, man.
1: Okay. And the third and final thing I'll address is its ability to travel um, physically in this regular around the area it has three large calcine, you know, or uh, almost hoof-like structures, but they're more extruded phosphorus calcium than they are, a hoof, like keratin. And those things are ridged on the bottom. And on each ridge, there are literally millions, well, maybe not millions, but hundreds of thousands of micro hairs on the bottom of each one of those weird little... That are all hairs. just like... So along all those little ridges were tons of cilia, or hair, for lack of a better term. I just called them cilia. Oh. You know, like you could see them under a times 1,500 microscope.
0: It's not and just then, a Phil Collins song. S S cilia Yeah. That little English dwarf motherfucker. Get out of my show. No, I'm just
1: kidding. We definitely are in a land of confusion. My God. No.
0: Billy. Billy, don't you lose my neck. Na- okay, I'm sorry. <laughs>
1: yeah, on each of the cilia going up and down are literally hundreds of little spatulas uh, on each of the cilia. And this is actually almost exactly how a gecko uh, has a on its foot. And a gecko, if it was truly able to put all of its force down and every single one of those little spatula hairs, would could possibly hold up to 250 pounds. Wow. Yeah, and this thing weighed about 145 pounds was our end agreement, Um, you know, because we don't know how much we lost, how much was there, yada, yada. But the surface area and all that stuff that it had means it would be more than capable of supporting 1,200 pounds just on a quarter of the contact of the amount it had. And the only recordable persistent trace we ever got from this thing was phospholipid. Whenever those things, geckos uh, touch glass, you'll get a remain of a phospholipid. It's just an artifact that gets left over that's part of the uh, process that allows it to stay on something. Um, But in this case, it's something that's not used up by conservation of matter because it's a phenomena that occurs here with products from our world. So that was very interesting. And we did find, as the... uh, Toenails were some of the last things to decay, like the hard structures. There was a whole bunch of little filaments inside of them, and each one of these filaments uh, were copper and nickel hybrid with calcium that coating them or in between them, um, and a little bit of phosphorus. And then after a while, even the wires broke down to dust because it was a very strange, a little, like almost alternating micro scopic chunks of copperish and nickel alloy mixed with this calcium, and eventually that disappeared. So it has a whole bunch of filaments to be able to transmit the electricity through the actual hands and perfect hands to grab. And this thing can touch anything and just adhere. So that does explain its high mobility. So that's pretty interesting to me. But I know there's a lot more we could go into here on so many levels. And but that's
0: why we're going to do more shows about oh
1: yeah. it. Yeah, but just everybody out there, this is a briefest of briefest bullet point overviews with the most minimalistic amount of details I really can put in here and still have it understandable. But on the bright side, once we found out about phospholipids, um, for ourselves, whenever we ran across a – Well, we didn't run across, but whenever we were asked about a possible OTN disappearance with a body found, we would advise the people to find any discoloration or bruises or anything that could be typified by a a burn that might be electrical, even if they weren't looking for that or any discoloration, and check the hell out of that thing for phospholipids because that is going to be the only confirming sign that that person got pulled off. So at least we have one discernible, uh, preservable marker of these things' existence. And since um, I know the people who run the Missing 411 Project or can they never know to look for phospholipids. And there's a couple other things that they're missing, but I mean, I don't expect them to believe me or I don't really care because we've got our own thing. And we have successfully had... <laughs> No missing 411 and uh, South Boulder County from Ned South to our area where we actually are based. And I would like to see we've done that since '95. And if you go up to Estes Park and Rocky Mountain National Park, people getting pulled off, killed, and whacked all the time there. So that's got a long history.
0: <laughs> um. Yeah, Estes Park's fucking. Well, you know, Stanley Motel.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You bit it there.
1: Actually, as a locksmith, of all things, since I was a federally bonded locksmith, uh, they asked me to do some of the restoration for the original locks there, and that was back in 2001. It was a great side gig. You know, I just drove up there, and you actually have to hand cut some of the original old steel and brass keys and fit them in there, and then, you know, you have to make sure everything's cleaned out, take the lock apart, clean everything up, repack it. Actually, I'm really good at preserving old blocks. I used to do that a lot in the Bonnie Bray neighborhood, and I even redid the Eucharist box in St. John's Cathedral, the one that was across the street from a porn store on Colfax, and there
0: Oh, was yeah. There
1: was a war between porn and church. It was <laughs> church
0: and I fucking remember that.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> I remember that. And Miss Kitty's is still there next to the fucking church. No kid. Yeah, oh, yeah. Well, you know, remember they built that Good Times down there, like a couple blocks up?
1: Yeah, no, I always just remember, I guess it was kiddies, and it was like directly facing St. John's Cathedral, and they had that half-block park between them. It was like a face-off.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's weird, yep. (laughs) Porn versus... The church. Pay-per-view, you know.
1: (laughs) Open the church. Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the door. There are no people across the street. And in the kitties. There they are.
0: (laughs) Yep. Suck these titties. That finishes the fucking uh, poem, yeah. (laughs) That finishes the poem. You can, you know. But uh, anyway, thanks for being here, C2. And thanks for the, uh, you know, the cryptid 411 fucking layout. And I'm looking forward to, you know, uh, Into steps of Art Bell and the inspiration of guys like this who have talked about this before us. And uh, hopefully, we can get some. Uh, you know, what would be cool is if we could get somebody from that troop that you were with to, to tell their version of the story or some shit, even.
1: There are a couple I actually, they will not want to be identified, but I possibly could get them uh, to speak on their own personal experiences.
0: Maybe that's how we'll expand the next 411. Oh, shit. All right, we're at the end of the hour, guys, but I uh, see you once again. Thank you. Is there uh, anything you want to leave the Cryptid Adventurer guys out on, uh, you know, who, obviously you have so many details, and even for a dulled down show, I can't, you know, I've heard you wound up too, man. I can't keep up. But when you, uh, this is this is a good one. I think people were able to, you know, understand, and uh, I know I was able to more. But you know, I'm kind of a dummy too, and I'm just sitting there going, "Oh, I'm just fascinated with the whole thing." (laughs) You know.
1: Well, it's it's been an interesting run for me, and I have a very good instinct and ability to figure things out. You know that, so it's been easier for me to find it when I see all the other cryptid hunters and how they do things. They are doing everything they can not to find them, and I wonder if that's subconscious. But long story short, that Hmm. was fun. And to anybody who listens today, yes, that was a very abbreviated, attenuated, detail, minor version of everything. If you do have any questions, feel free to leave a message. Uh, We might be able to get back to you and explain uh, a detail or two more that you might be curious about. If yep. you find it helpful, share it with other people. Uh, and you don't even have to, you know, just tell you got it from us. I mean, we can use it freely. Um,
0: and, we're about to, yep. and we're about to have our YouTube channel up, and uh, we're about to, uh, uh, if you guys got to contact us, you can always hit me up on the Anchor platform, leave me a message. You got one minute to leave an audio message, or you can call me at 206-666-5847 and call the studio directly. Which is just me smoking in the bathroom. So um yeah, yeah come on in. Join the show. And uh, C two, thank you for being here. I appreciate you always.
1: Right on man. Well you call everybody out there, leave us a message, call us full shit or call us with questions.
0: Let us know <laughs> your your cryptid curiosities. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. C two out.
0: Adam Air out. Wow. Well thanks C two for giving us this uh really descriptive uh breakdown I'm fucking baked today y'all just under the weather but this was a sick ass episode anyway and uh you know I'll try to keep my energy up eh? oh my god Fans calling in. Hang in there, dude. Yeah, well, maybe that's a poor choice of words. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Oh, God, just give me a fucking gun. Korea wants to nuke us. Cryptids wants to kill us. Zombies. (laughs) Trump made me do it. Oh, my God. I don't even know where I'm going anymore. C2 man. And, uh. What the fuck can I tell you? I'm gonna keep the show rolling. Hopefully, no cryptids fucking attack my shit. I gotta go rock a piss. Oh my god. Fucking <laughs> predator. Infrared skin. I don't know what we were even talking about. Alright, see you next time. You're listening to M B G B Underground Cartoon Therapy Do you know where you are?